Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. We've all heard it said, money is the root of all evil. But is that really true? At what point does money become an idol? You're listening to Modern Day Idols, Money, by Reverend Ruth Boven. Our scripture reading this morning is from Luke 12. We'll be reading verses 13 through 21 of Luke 12. Someone in the crowd said to him, to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. And then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. This is the word of the Lord. So because this is important, I'm going to say it right up front. It's not about the money. In the parable and in life, it's not about the money. Let's start with the parable. In our text this morning, as I said, Jesus isn't warning us about money or about wealth or about material abundance. Jesus warns against greed. Jesus warns against the insatiable feeling of never having enough, of always desiring more. And the parable that Jesus tells illustrates this. The farmer, Jesus says, has had a great harvest. His land has produced a whole lot of grain. There's a huge abundance. And that in itself is not a bad thing at all. The farmer's problem isn't the great harvest or that he wants to plan for the future or even that the farmer is rich. The problem with the farmer is what happens to his vision. The commentator David Lost helped me see something interesting in this text. 
The farmer's problem is that his good fortune has distorted his vision so that everything he sees begins and ends with himself. Listen again to the conversation he has, not with a spouse or a friend or a parent or a neighbor, but only with himself. I will do this. I will pull down my barn and build larger ones, and there I will store all of my grain and goods. I will say to myself, or a better translation, my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Do you see what's happening there? It is an absolutely egocentric conversation, even including a conversation with himself inside the conversation he's already having with himself. This is why he's a fool. The farmer has fallen prey to the idea that life, and particularly the good life, consists of himself and his possessions, imagining that these belong to him. And that is exactly what Jesus warns against. You know, during Lent, we are taking a look at false idols that we direct our attention to. The things to which we look for our security, our significance, for, for meaning in life. Now again, there is nothing inherently evil in money or in possessions. Money can do wonderful things. It can provide for you and for your family. It can be given to others in need. It can promote the welfare of society. Money and possessions become an idol when they take the shape of greed. And here's the hardest thing about that. Greed is exceedingly difficult to discern in ourselves. Tim Keller says that when greed takes hold of your heart, it blinds you. Nobody thinks they are greedy. You know, pastors sometimes hear folks confess to private sins in their lives. You can imagine the kinds of sins those might be. Adultery, lying, cheating, etc. But greed is not one of them, because we almost never see it in ourselves. Here's something else to be aware of. Each of us has a need beneath the greed, a need that, if you will, fills, uh, I'm sorry, feeds the greed. Two of the most common ones of those needs that, that feed the greed are, number one, control. 
Believing that we're in charge of our own destiny feeds the greed. Number two, wanting the approval of others feeds the greed. Here are some observations from my own life. Since the pandemic started, I find myself checking my financial apps on my phone more frequently. Why? Well, I don't know for sure, but perhaps at a time when life feels very strange and insecure, it feeds the illusion that my future security has to do with the numbers in those accounts. And why do I feel the need to keep checking myself in the mirror to make sure that whatever bulges I don't want other people to see are appropriately covered? Well, perhaps it's because it feeds the illusion that if I have the approval of other people, I am more worthy. And I am just a little bit closer to experiencing the good life. A life our society constantly, relentlessly, inescapably sells us. Tim Keller tells a helpful story to get at the need beneath the greed. He recalls a time when a, a pastor friend of his was counseling a couple that had severe conflict when it came to handling money. The wife considered the husband a cruel and uncompromising miser. One day the pastor was speaking one-on-one -on -one just to the husband who was complaining bitterly about his spouse. She is so selfish, spending so much on her clothes and on her appearance. The husband could see clearly how her need to look attractive to others, to influence others, influenced her use of money. But then the pastor turned the script on him and said, do you see that by not spending or giving away anything, by sucking away every single penny, you are being just as selfish. You are spending absolutely everything on your need to feel secure and protected and in control. You see, greed like other idols, is a severe taskmaster. It exacts from us an enormous amount of time and energy and worry and anxiety as we try hard to secure our own lives in various ways. And for all the time and energy and worry and anxiety that we spend, None of these things can change the trajectory of our lives. As a friend said to me recently, 
No amount of money can take away the anxiety of eventually losing control of all our bodily functions. And I might add, losing control of our bigger barns. You know, I think that most of us know and we believe what Jesus says is true. We know that happiness cannot, I'm sorry, that money cannot buy us happiness. And yet, even though we know this, we struggle to live that way. So what can we do? How do we address the need and the greed in us? Well, if our problem in the first place, like the farmers, is our vision, if our problem is a distorted way of seeing things, then the solution is to see things more clearly. The solution involves getting a clearer picture for ourselves. It involves a reorientation to the reality of where our security lies. So here's the first thing to help us see a clearer picture. Let's remember that Jesus already knows all about us. Jesus knows our fears. Jesus knows our deep human need for security as well as our tendencies to try to find it in all the wrong places. And so what's helpful in our reorientation is recalling that Jesus came for just that reason. Jesus came to tell us and to show us that God wants so much more for us than simply more stuff. Our security not comes not from what a bigger barn can hold, but from what God can do with open hands and what they can do. As the preacher Barbara Brown Taylor proposes, there is a catch to receiving the joy and security that comes as a gift of God. The catch is, she says, you have got to be ready to receive the gift. You cannot accept God's gift without free hands to take it. You know, the reason Jesus warns us against greed isn't to curb our joy but to invite us into a more abundant life with the God who loves us. And Jesus keeps declaring that message all the way to the cross so that you will see and know how far God will go to secure your life for you, to secure your life for you, anchored in the center of God's love and grace. I know of a pastor who grew up poor. 
He grew up on Long Island, which is literally divided by a long railroad track. He lived on the wrong side. He admits that for quite some time, his goal in life was to knock himself out, being the very best student, the very best pastor he could possibly be. And eventually, his hard work paid off, and he made it into a big pastorate in a very large, successful church in Washington, D.C. This is what he says about that. By every measurable standard of life, I have crossed the railroad tracks. But none of the happiness I have found in life has come from the things I achieved. All of it came from the gifts I received along the way. Jesus calls us to reorient ourselves, to see clearly that our security is not in the abundance of our possessions, but in the divine hands that hold our open hands and that hold our very lives. Those nail-pierced hands were stretched on the cross for us. And as we start to see our security there in a clearer way, we also see more clearly all the gifts that we've been given in life. And one of the best of those gifts is the people God has placed in our lives. You've likely heard this before, but it's true. As pastors, we see it over and over again. When folks are hit with a hard illness or come to the end of their lives, the things they reflect on, the things that, are, that they give most thanks for and give them joy are not the memory of their trips or their bank accounts or their bigger barns. It is the love of family and the relationships in which they've invested themselves that give them comfort and joy and meaning. Perhaps you saw the recent news story about United Flight 328. That's the one where the plane took off out of Denver and soon after was severely shaken by a loud explosion. It was one of the plane's engines. Clearly something had gone horribly wrong. When Bob Brown heard the explosion, he looked out his window, saw the damage to the engine, and took out his phone to film it. He told reporters this. We looked at each other, my wife and I, held hands, and just wished our kids that we'd see them again. Another family nearby held hands and prayed. Well, as you likely know, the pilot was able to turn that plane around and navigate it back to the airport it had just left. Another passenger, Troy Lewis, said, 
As soon as we kind of made the corner and we could see the runway, I made sure our family, well, we all told each other we loved each other. He said of the whole experience that, quote, it makes you all of a sudden remember all those things that you can so easily forget. Watch out. Be on your guard, says Jesus. Life does not consist in an abundance of our possessions. And then a few verses later, Jesus says this, Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. All that you are, all that you have, are gifts from God. Your future is secure beyond all measure. Truly, it's not about the money. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we give you but your own. Whatever that gift may be, all that we have is thine alone. A trust, O oh Lord, from thee. Lord, help us to live into that truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.